What used to outrage me was the incivility of citizens of Lake Oswego towards each other, towards staff, towards council members, and the incivility and anger and hostility within the council itself between members of the council. I remember specifically when I was running large public meetings dealing with whatever the topic was that was controversial, having to call the police. I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. Attempting on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. Three, two, one. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Miller. On this week's episode, we're continuing the discussions that I've been having this month with elected officials, in this case, somebody who served in public office in the past. He served for eight years on the Lake Oswego City Council and one four-year term as mayor of Lake Oswego. He left office without running for re-election after one term, even though he had one more term before he got term limited out, and you'll hear in the interview why it is that he made that decision. I do want to talk a little bit about the nature of these local and state public officials and some of the differences between them. Up to this point, we've heard from two members of the Oregon State Legislature and a Multnomah County Commissioner, and those three people represent two different kinds of public offices in terms of full-time versus part-time and decent pay versus essentially a small stipend. Members of the Oregon legislature are paid very little. It's definitely not a full-time salary. Almost everybody, unless they are independently wealthy, has to work another job in order to be able to support themselves and their family. Multnomah County commissioners, on the other hand, and Portland City commissioners and the Portland mayor are paid a pretty decent full-time salary, though, of course, most public offices don't pay a competitive wage with what they would earn for similar responsibilities and difficulties in the private sector. But these are decently paying jobs. Today's guest, Jack Hoffman, was on the city council and was mayor of Lake Oswego, both of which are essentially volunteer positions. There is a very small stipend associated with doing those jobs. Jack made around $350 a month for being the mayor of Lake Oswego. In a few weeks, we're going to be talking to Tom Hughes, who was both mayor of Hillsborough for eight years and president of the Metro Planning Council for eight years. 
As mayor, he was paid very little, and it was essentially a volunteer position, even though, as he's told me, he worked upwards of 40 hours a week at that job. As president of the Metro Council, he was paid a full-time salary and was able to support himself on that job. So there are two different kinds of elected officials, the essentially volunteer, part-time, stipend, underpaid type of public servant, and the full-time, paid less than in the private sector, but still paid what we could consider to be a living wage that would support an adult. It's important, I think, to keep in mind the difference between this, because even though all of these elected officials face the same kinds of challenges in relating to constituents and getting things done, and they have to, of course, run for election and then run for re-election in a competitive environment, one group of those people is doing that almost entirely out of their sense of civic duty, while the other group, while of course acting out of a sense of civic duty, is also being paid in a way that we would consider to be commensurate for the workload and responsibility that they have to take on. Okay, well, enough with the civics lesson. Let's move on to the interview with Jack Hoffman. In the studio today, I have Jack Hoffman, who is the former mayor of Lake Oswego and was a city council member. Thanks for coming in. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I want to start off first by asking you, what got you into politics? I was relatively apolitical in high school and college and later on in life. I began my interest in local politics in the muddy soccer fields of Lake Oswego. I was actively involved in youth sports in Lake Oswego. I was the president of the soccer club. My son played soccer. There were some issues that came up, and, I, and so I started to become more and more involved. In the 1990s, um, like a lot of parents, um, I got involved in my local uh, city, I was on the Team Sports Advisory Committee and then on the Parks and Recreation Advisory Committee. And then from there, the mayor at that time said, you know, Jack, why don't you run for city council? And at that time, I saw uh, running for city council, another public service, another way to give back to the community. What did the mayor say that got you sold on this idea or did you not need to be sold? No, I wasn't reluctant because interestingly, on the city council at that time, it was my perception that the segment of the Lake Oswego community that I was comfortable with and familiar with the younger parents and the parents of children weren't necessarily represented on the city council itself. When it came time to allocate resources for either parks and recreation activities or allocate resources within the budget, it appeared to me and it became clear to me that the people that I felt most comfortable with were not being provided, were not being allocated the resources in a an appropriate manner. So I thought, well, if I ran for city council and got on the city council, then I would be their voice. And I think I was elected as that kind of voice of the parents, voice of the parents of the youth sports, whether it be little league, uh, soccer, baseball. So you saw a gap in representation. And what was representation like before you filled that gap? In Lake Oswego, like every city, there are social networks. There are the Rotary. There's a Chamber of Commerce. There are different business organizations. And I think that people who ran for city council in Lake Oswego at that time were plugged into those um, networks. Uh, there may have been one person on there that came through the planning commission or sometimes through the budget commission. But typically, you'll have people who are retired, people in their 60s and 70s who are no longer consumed by family, by career, and so they want to continue to contribute to their community. And so I saw, you know, late 1990s, 
a opportunity for somebody who was a parent and a relatively young person at that time to participate in the policy making at the local level. Were you able to actually be the voice for this previously unrepresented group? Yes, because in 1998, when I first ran for city council, there was on the ballot a bond measure for open space for active recreation, open space for natural resources, and the money for renovating of the sports fields. And so I had the expertise to be able to share with my fellow counselors what are some of the priorities for the parents of the children who are going to the schools and are participating in youth sports in, in Lake Oswego at that time. So you, you filled a representation gap and you were able to actually bring an area of knowledge and expertise uh, as a new fresh voice to the city council. And was your time on the city council, do you think, pretty successful? Uh, yes, because during that time period, it was a good time for Lake Oswego and maybe for a lot of other cities. As the city manager of Lake Oswego said at that time, there are times when cities have their golden era, their golden time, when things just seem to click. And from, oh, let's say 1996 through 2006, 2008, that was Lake Oswego's golden time. And so when we had the bond measure passed, we were able to acquire open spaces, able to acquire spaces for fields, and we were also able to improve the fields. And we did a number of other things to create a more desirable community, more livable community in Lake Oswego. Then you were term limited out and and you took two years off and decided to run for mayor. And that was, you know, between 2006 and 2008. That was an economic downturn for the entire country. Was it a downturn in Lake Oswego as well? Was it the end of the golden period? Well, certainly it was. And so that's one of the things that's interesting in hindsight to look back and say, well, what could I have done differently as a mayor? What was happening as I was running for mayor? Uh, When I ran for mayor in 2008, that campaign would have been one of the last traditional nonpartisan campaigns for that city in which social media was not a significant factor. So partisanship and social media dynamism came to Lake Oswego after 2008. Sure. Uh, 2008 and then 2010, 2012, just like probably every other city, social media, partisanship, uh, the divide, the tenseness uh, increased after that time. So there was a palpable shift in the political environment of a small city like Lake Oswego. I do want to hear about your experience as mayor, but I want to go back to what got you to come off the sidelines and run for mayor? Or were you, when you got term limited out, were you planning on continuing in Lake Oswego politics no matter what? Well, I was interested in continuing. I had been from 1998 to 2006, I had been very active in regional politics with the Metro government. There is a a committee called the Metro Policy Advisory Committee, and I was chair of that for a year. So I was really involved in what was going on in the uh, region. I was involved in an effort in 2005 to expand the natural resource protection region-wide from Beaverton all the way to Fairview. And so I was involved in that. And so it gave me a perspective of how Lake Oswego fit into the region, how Lake Oswego could be a leader in the region. And so I felt that with the term limiting of the uh, mayor from 2000 to 2008, that I thought it would be a uh, timely for me to come in and add some leadership and some experience. And how was the, you, know, you say it was the last nonpartisan sort of pre-social media campaign. What was that campaign like in brief? Uh, in brief, it was very difficult. When you run for city council in Lake Oswego, in a lot of cities, it's like a horse race. Four people run for three positions. And so it's the top three people who get to the finish line first. And so you're running on your own merit as opposed to uh, denigrating or uh, negatively commenting 
commenting on your opponent. When I ran for mayor in 2008, it just was reversed. There were some issues that had faced Lake Oswego, and so there was a significant number of people who uh, felt that I wasn't the right person to be mayor. They supported somebody else, and so it was a very acrimonious, I think that's a good word, it was a very acrimonious and tense election for mayor of Lake Oswego in 2008. And did that surprise you, or were you, did you sort of see that acrimony coming? No, it surprised me. What kind of feeling did that leave you with during your four years as mayor? Well, once I got through the election and I won uh, relatively handily, then I felt that I had a mandate to reach out to the community, to engage with the community, to work on community visioning projects, to try to create uh, mechanisms for the community to come back together. Because before I ran for mayor, there were certain issues in which people became very uncivil towards each other. There's anger, hostility. And so incivility, the, the specter of incivility began to rise in 2006, 2007, 2008 in Lake Oswego over um, certain things that the city had done during that time period. I would love to explore all of the details of your time as mayor of Lake Oswego. I do want to get on to the question that I ask all my guests. What is something that used to outrage you but no longer does, and why the change? Well, like a lot of your guests that have been here, I've thought about that quite a bit. What used to outrage me was the incivility of citizens of Lake Oswego towards each other, towards Lake Oswego staff, towards Lake Oswego council members, and the incivility and anger and hostility within the council itself between uh, members of the council. I remember specifically, I don't think I'm outraged anymore because of time, but I was outraged at, at the time when I was running large public meetings dealing with whatever the topic, topic was that was controversial. And having to call with a secret button the police because I felt that there was a physical threat to the council members or to other people in the audience. I had to do that more than once. And when you're the mayor, you're sitting there uh, running the meeting, and when you sense the palpable energy and negative rage, and you start looking for where your um, city councilors could escape from if somebody decided to do something untoward, that was a very difficult time. And there was, that was a time when there were a number of incidents at other uh, city councils throughout the state in which uh, somebody brought a, a rifle or a gun into the, uh, to the hearing. So you were legitimately concerned that this acrimony was boiling over and could potentially become violent. Correct. Uh, and so now you say that oh. you used to be outraged by that and you no longer are. Um, what, what led to the change? Well, it's the time. You know, time is... Uh, is the, the tincture of time, you, you soften. I'm not outraged anymore about that because time is gone. So you've softened in historical retrospect. Correct. Have you been to any of these city council meetings in Lake Oswego since leaving office? I've been to only a couple of them because I made a decision when I left the mayor's office that I had done what I needed to do and I was moving on. And I just basically passed the torch, to use a metaphor, to the next council, to the next mayor. So you moved on and time has softened your outrage. Correct. But it doesn't seem to me as though you have changed your objection to that kind of behavior or that you've gotten a new perspective where you could look back and say, well, it really wasn't. I shouldn't have been outraged back then. No. Uh, if you were put back in the middle of it, your outrage would return instantly. Correct. And I read about 
some of the things that are happening in other city councils in the Portland metropolitan region, uh, the city hall in Portland, the Portland city hall, how how they have to clear the meeting room. And while I'm not outraged, I'm disappointed and frustrated. And are you somewhat or relatively or strongly disengaged from politics at this point? Are you engaged enough that you're around I think it'd be more accurate to say I've been disengaged. It sounds like, that. don't correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like politics got to you and washed you out. Um, that may not be an unfair, <laughs> to use two negatives, that may be a fair observation that it was so intense for four years um, that I decided that I need to move on with my life. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. Visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about. A lot of people I talk to who work in politics often talk about how frustratingly incremental and slow and difficult policymaking and policy change can be. Do you have that kind of frustration, or do you think that you got a lot done and it was the acrimony that pushed you out, not the frustrating slow pace of partial change? No, we got a lot done. We got a lot done because at the local level, um, we were able to do projects. We were able to create programs. We were able to create parks. We were able to develop bicycle pathways, uh, pedestrian pathways. We were able to develop a number of parks. We created an award-winning downtown in Lake Oswego. It just goes, goes on and on. And in the process of doing that, did you have to make a lot of compromises to take into account a variety of interests and opinions, or were you able to generate a decent level of consensus behind these projects? Some projects did not have much opposition. Other efforts that we did had a lot of opposition. So it just depends on what it was. Facing that opposition, did you simply defeat that opposition or did you compromise or did you draw them in? Did you change people's minds? We had to compromise. A lot of the programs, a lot of the efforts that we did when we were, when I was mayor centered around property rights and uh, natural resource protection and some other things like that. And so we had to listen to what the uh, citizens of Lake Oswego were saying in terms of what was important to them in terms of property rights, their own home, their own backyard, and try to compromise, try to fashion programs that took into consideration their concerns. And how do you feel about those compromises? Do you feel pretty good about them, or are there some you look back and you're resentful or annoyed or bitter or whatever it might be? No, I don't think so. I mean, that's a good question, but no, I think the compromises in a small town like like Oswego are really listening to the citizens, trying to balance perspectives. You'll have citizens on one side, citizens on the other. And so you try to blend those perspectives together in an ordinance or into a program. And when I was running hearings and when I was always working with the planning staff, what was always important to me is that I would always 
be aware of the people not in the room. What is the voice of the people not in the room? And how do we accommodate that in terms of looking for the public good or what's in the best interest of the community? So it sounds like your experience with the sort of policymaking and programmatic implementation side of local governance was a good one. Correct. And your experience with the political environment was a highly negative one, and that's what got you to move off stage left. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. In other words, we accomplished a lot, but it was the personal attacks and the um, toll on me personally, a toll on my professional career, and a toll on my family that we decided that, uh, you know, when you get death threats on your telephone answering machine, you decide, well, you know, it's really not worth it anymore. Normally, at around this stage in the interview, I'm I'm looking for advice from my guests for for the listeners to address the plethora of negative feelings that there are in our political world, outrage, frustration, anger, fear, apathy, disengagement, all of those things. Generally, we've had a running start towards that kind of advice, or at least that kind of perspective. And I'm I'm wondering where we're going to get it from you. What would you say is your advice or perspective you could offer to the listeners to make sense of political outrage? I think that is important at the local level to reach out to the citizens, to reach out to your residents, to make sure there's as little disconnect between City Hall and the average citizen that goes to work, comes home, may or may not have a child, may or may not be retired, to try to create mechanisms so that they know their opinion, their voice has been heard. I don't think they always want to be agreed with. They want to have their own way, but they will understand if a city council goes in a different direction, but it's very important that they be heard. And that's the most important thing. So you think think that the priority of citizens is to feel as though they actually have a voice, not necessarily that they win. Correct. Because I think most citizens on most issues recognize that their neighbors may be right. Their neighbors have a point of view that may be different from their point of view. But at the end of the day, if they can have access to the policymakers at the local level, if they can feel like they have been heard, then that goes a long ways towards this negativity and angst and anger. Right, so I was about to ask you, what, you know, what do you think could be done about the acrimony? You've now had a few years to reflect upon the effect of social media on politics in general, and certainly in your community in Lake Oswego. What do you think can be done, if anything, about the rising level of acrimony and outrage and name calling and death threats and all of the stuff that kind of it sounds like got you to decide that politics just wasn't for you? I think that at the local level, again, I'm always going to refer to the local level because that's my experience, is that the citizens who run for mayor, they run for city council, they need to always continue to reach out to the citizens, to the citizens that, that they were before they were policymakers. You go from being a citizen to a, a voter to a policymaker, a decision maker. And so I think they always have to remember from where they came from and also give information as much as possible. It's a common refrain, I think, today, and there certainly was when I was involved. I didn't know about this ordinance. I didn't know that I couldn't cut down my tree. I didn't know that you were going to put in speed bumps in front of my house. I didn't know that you were going to make my house a, a bikeway. And so I think that the staff and the policymakers and the city manager have to redouble their efforts to get the message out in a number of ways. And I think the younger uh, staff, you know, whether it be planners or or, uh, street maintenance people or whatever, that I think they're 
more attuned to using social media and other ways to get the word out. And I think that that is not the answer, but I think that is a um, way to relieve people's anxiety about not being heard. And there's no way to avoid generating that kind of discord among citizens, but there is a way to avoid having that become problematic. Are you optimistic that in your community, there can be a turning down of the volume of outrage and acrimony, or are you resigned to the fact that it's kind of here to stay? No, I'm optimistic. And in our city, I think it's become less partisan, less acrimonious, less uncivil. So I am relatively optimistic that leaders at the local level, whether it be city councilors or uh, mayors, can reach out and can soften the divisiveness and the passion. It's, It's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, civic engagement. It's a lot of working on social capital within the community. So do you think that maybe the negative experience was a spur to try to improve things, to do things better, that the reason why you're hopeful is that it seems like there's learning from this problematic, acrimonious period and an attempt to make sure that it doesn't persist. Correct. I think a couple of things. One is there is this, for lack of a better word, institutional memory. So there's a community memory. People stay in the community. They remember when something happened to Mayor Hoffman and his council. We don't want that to happen to our council. We don't want that to happen to whatever this topic is. So I assume that for the mayors that follow me through the kind of the community memory, they'll say, well, let's not do it that way. Uh, let's work on a different way to engage the community, to reach out to the community. But there will always be projects that generate strong opposition. And it's typically, you know, neighbors right next door. And it's kind of a not in my backyard. I think I don't think you can ever get away from the not in my backyard opposition because people are very sensitive to their living environment. It's always a challenge to help people understand that while it may affect them personally in the short term, is in the best interest of the community in the long term. And while that's a challenge and a battle that is always ongoing, you just try to do your best to soften it, to get people to sit around a coffee table or a city hall chamber and at least have a conversation. So there's always going to be conflict and discord. Correct. There doesn't necessarily always need to be acrimony. There's always going to be this kind of conflict between what people individually want and what the community good is. Correct. And that is unavoidable in politics. It's how you manage the conflicts that inevitably result from that, that could set you in a path where there's a healthy political discourse versus a toxic one. Correct. I'm glad to hear that you you are optimistic that Lake Oswego's political environment is getting less acrimonious and that it's coming from a learning process and kind of uh, community institutional memory. It sounds like time, you know, you said what softened your outrage was time. And and here it's time operating in a different way as a source of learning and reflecting on the past and trying to do things differently in the present and for a different kind of future. Correct. I think that the community leaders that followed me and followed my counsel have learned from the mistakes that we made. And I think the community as a whole, I mean, the people that were here then, the people that were like us, we go then and are still there in Lake Oswego, still at least I think they appreciate that you have to tamp down a little bit the passion. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight. You have to be patient with it. And if you're going to learn from mistakes, that learning can sometimes take a while. Correct. Well, I really want to thank you for coming in today and sharing your experience and your insights. I think we can learn a lot about politics and our own attitudes about it from your experience. So thanks for coming in, Jack. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
Well, that's this week's interview. For those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, you'll notice that that is really the first time that I've had somebody on the show who essentially got chewed up and spit out by politics. And I think it's interesting to hear the perspective of somebody now, seven years later after he left, what he thinks about that time. And time has healed some of the wounds, but I think there's still some residual resentment and bitterness. And I think that a number of people who get into politics and who get out under these kinds of conditions, and that does sometimes happen, that that kind of feeling is residual inside them. So that's been four interviews with people who've served in elected office, three of whom are still in elected office. I'm going to be getting back to interviews with public officials after a couple of weeks where I'm going to turn away from the office holders and focus on the people who put them in office, the voters. And this is going to coincide with the beginning of the voting phase of the 2020 presidential nominating process, which is kicking off next Monday, February 3rd with the Iowa caucus. For the two weeks of the Iowa caucus, and the New Hampshire primary. I'm going to be taking a look at so-called value voters and then at people who don't vote. So that's what's coming up. And then we're going to return with an interview that I alluded to in the introduction. Tom Hughes, former mayor of Hillsborough, Oregon, and former president of the Metro Council. I want to thank Jack for that very honest interview. And of course, I want to thank all of the guests who come in and sit down and talk to me. As always, I want to thank you, the listener. And now, of course, the song to bring you to the end of this episode This song is an early 20th century song of uncertain origin. It's not exactly a traditional folk song. It was written by somebody in the 20th century, but there are a number of different theories as to who did write it. This is the version recorded here in Portland a few years ago by a friend of mine, Craig Bradford. Enjoy it. Yeah, cocaine all around my 